Today is uh, part two and the final part of our brief little series here called The Politics of Jesus. And this morning I want to talk to you about the, the, what true power actually looks like. You know, last week I shared with you that this Tuesday coming up is not the most important election that has ever happened. No, the most important election is the election of who is the king of your heart? Is it you or is it Jesus we talked last week about how it's Jesus that has the, the power through his gospel message that, you know, he died on the cross for us and, and he rose again from the dead so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a brand new life, not just forever with him in eternity, but right here and right now. And it's that gospel message that has the power to transform hearts and transform towns and communities and even whole nations. That's what's so important. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world, that our citizenship is not in this world. But yet, at the same time, he said that when you pray, you should say, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done here on the earth, just as it is in heaven. And so in that way, politics does matter to God. And what happens here with our citizenship here on the earth and in, in this nation, it does matter to God. And so that's what we're going to look at today is what is that blend of faith and politics? How, how do we as followers of Jesus sort of blend these things together? So if you're taking notes here today, and, and by the way, welcome to everybody that's online. Welcome to you guys that are here with us live today as well. If you have a smartphone, you want to go ahead and pull that out. If you're here, you can get all the notes I'm going to be talking about. If you're online, actually right there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen, there's a little button there called Talk Notes. You can push that. That'll give you all the, uh, the notes as well. But here, here's the first point that I want to talk about today. What is the definition of politics? Well, politics is the art or science of government. Again, politics is the art or science of government. This is the way that groups of people go about making decisions. And as Webster's Dictionary says, there's a little bit of art to it. There's a little bit of science of how do you get people with opposing viewpoints to come together so that we can live in a harmonious society. That's what politics is really all about. Now, as we're observing here in our country, that's often easier said than done, right? And so when it comes to followers of Jesus, really people fall into three different camps. The, the first camp of people would be those that say, you know what, I'm just going to bury my head in the sand. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm fed up with the whole thing. And so I'm going to do very spiritual things. I'll pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to serve in missions. But I don't want to have anything to do with the political systems of this nation and of this world. Here's the problem with that, though. That's not following the model of Jesus. You know, when Jesus was here on the earth, Jesus confronted hypocrisy. He confronted corruption that he saw. Jesus came along and he helped to feed the poor and take care of the needy. And Jesus spoke against the societal types of things that were sort of tearing people down and holding people back. He spoke about the injustices that he saw. And so if Jesus did these things, then we must do these things as well. Now again, he did say that the kingdom of God is the most important thing, but he also made it clear that what we do right here and right now on this planet and in this nation is going to be important. Now, the second group of people then, as far as Christians are concerned, is Christians that are obsessed with politics. I mean, they go the opposite direction. For many people, politics and their political party and their particular political candidate, it's almost become like a cult for them. These people tend to believe that the primary means that Jesus has of making a difference in our country is through legislating morality. And here's the problem with that. We can't legislate morality. 
Jesus came and he said that I came to set people free from the law. Remember in the Old Testament, there were 613 commands that God had given the nation of Israel. Not all those commands were just spiritual commands. A lot of them had to do with how to run their nation. And Jesus said, I came to to set people free from the law. We can't legislate morality. We can't force people to do what we want them to do, but yet that's how a lot of people think as Christians. We think that, look, if we just pass enough laws through Congress, that's going to change people's hearts. But remember, the goal of Christianity isn't conformity. The goal of Christianity is transformation of the human heart away from sin and towards God. And so you and I, we could pass all the bills that we want, but that doesn't change people's hearts. We could force people to obey, but that doesn't change people's hearts. How many of you have kids? Let me, let me see you raise hands. And those of you in the chat, you know, do you have kids? Who, who has kids, right? Do you remember when you had your little kid and you told him, little Johnny, little Susie, sit down right now. Be quiet. Sit down. And they're just standing there. You're like, sit down right now. One, two, and they like sit down real quick, right? They don't want to be spanked. Little Johnny, little Susie, they may have sat down, but in their hearts, they're still standing up, aren't they? And see, we can legislate morality to our country all we want, but it's not about legislation. It's about the transformation of the human heart, and that's what we're to be as as followers of Jesus, is helping Jesus to accomplish his goal of making up there come down here in a real way, not in a legislative way. There's a third group of people then, and it's probably where most of you fall, and that is that you know that, okay, I can't just bury my head in the sand when it comes to politics, and I can't make it like a religion almost. That There's got to be a blend between faith and politics. You're just not quite sure how do I go about doing that. So let's talk about that for just a little bit. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gets tempted by the devil three different times. And in the third temptation, Matthew, who is the biographer of Jesus, he says that this happens. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Finally, the devil took Jesus up on a very high mountain and showed him all the what? All the, all the kingdoms on earth and their what? And their power. The devil said to him, I will give all this to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus answered, go away, Satan. The scriptures say, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What Satan is offering here to Jesus is, look, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms and all the powers of the world. Now stop to think about this for a second. Wouldn't the world be a better place if Jesus was in charge of North Korea? If Jesus was in charge of China, if Jesus was in charge of Iran, wouldn't the world be a better place? Wouldn't it make it easier for you if this Tuesday when you go to the ballot box, there was a choice for the name of Jesus? By the way, Jesus' name is not on the ballot this week, just letting you know, none of the candidates are God. By the way, Satan's name is not on the ballot this week, even though some of you may make an argument for that. <laughs> but, but think about it. If Jesus 
were actually in charge of Congress, there'd be no gridlock. There'd be no bad laws that get passed. Imagine Jesus is in charge of the EPA and the post office and the DMV. Wow! <laughs> How much better, right? And, and remember, kingdoms have kingdoms are governments, but, but kingdoms are more than just governments. There are like educational kingdoms. Listen, if Jesus was in charge of Penn State, I may actually start rooting for him. I mean, he'd have to twist my arm, but I, I, I could get behind that. By the way, you guys need all the prayer you can get, right? Just saying, just saying, Owen oh too, you know. Don't worry, next week you play Maryland and you'll get your win. But then we'll just be tied, all right? So just, just letting you know. But, but if Jesus was in charge of all education, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. And what about the, the business kingdoms of the world? What if Jesus were in charge of Google and Facebook and Microsoft and Apple and Uber and Sheets even? I mean, finally we could let people know that Sheets is better than Wawa, right? I mean, it's just... It, it's, it's not rocket science. Jesus would say, look, here, thus declareth the Lord, cheats. <laughs> It'd be good. What if Jesus were in charge of all the media empires? What if Jesus was the one that was actually running Fox News and CNN and MSNBC? It'd be way different, right? And that's essentially what Satan is offering to Jesus here. But Jesus says no to all that because he says, my kingdom is not that kind of kingdom. And that is not the type of power that I'm interested in. You know, most people, they want power because they want to be able to control people or dominate people. Some people want power because of the perks or the entitlements or the stroking of the ego that they're going to get. But Jesus wanted none of that because to him, the greatest power was the power to transform and change hearts. And he says the greatest way to transform a heart is through love. And so to Jesus, the greatest power is love. The greatest power is to serve other people. The greatest power was to lay down his own life for the good of everybody. And that's what he expects of us as well. That's the model that he gives to us. You see... Jesus believed that if you really want to change hearts and homes and churches and schools and communities and nations, it all centers around this sacrificial love which influences people to make a change, not forces and legislates people to change. And so that's the model that we have, is the model of Jesus, the model of love. So what does that have to do with faith and politics? Well, here's how I put it on your outline. My theology must be what informs my, pol uh, my political decisions, not the other way around. Let me say that again. My theology must be what informs my political decisions, not the other way around. In other words, we are to be followers of Jesus first and live by his definition of what power is. We've got to be followers of Jesus first and attempt to live out his mission here on the earth. And that's what then informs our political decisions and the positions that we hold and the candidates that we vote for and the policies that we support. That's the model of Jesus. And again, the key word is love. We've looked at this before, but 
one day some religious scholars came to Jesus and they said to him, Jesus, out of all 613 commands, which one is the most important? And here's what Jesus says in Mark 12, verses 30 to 31. Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And so when it comes time to figure out, you know, which candidate am I going to vote for? We have to look at, okay, whose policies best do what Jesus just said? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let me say that again. When it comes time to vote, what you're voting on is whose policies best are going to glorify God and show love for God and show love for people. So your vote isn't about you and what's best for you. Your vote is what's best for God and his kingdom and what's best to love everybody. It's sort of like this. You know, oftentimes when we're talking about money, we, we share with you, you know, you don't own anything. It's not your money. It's God's money. You're just a steward of the money that God has given you. And so it's the exact same way with your vote. It's not your vote. It's his vote. And you've got to be a good steward of that vote and spend it in a way that is going to help advance his kingdom, what's going to love God and what's going to love people the most. So again, your theology informs your political decisions. It isn't that your, pol your political ideologies are what then influences your theology. Does that make sense? Now, there may be some of you who are watching online today that you're not a follower of Jesus, and so we don't expect that you're going to believe this. But for us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, this is what we're commanded to do. Your theology impacts and determines what political decisions you make, not the other way around. Now, I know some of you are going, okay, Gilbert, just make it easy for us. Tell us who to vote for. You know, should I vote for the Democrats? Should I vote for the Republicans? Who should I vote for? But I'm not going to do that, and let me tell you why. Neither party gets this right all the time. Sometimes the Republicans take the biblical stance, and it's the Democrats that are taking the worldly stance. Other times, it's the Democrats that are taking the biblical stance, while it's the Republicans who are off track. And so nobody gets this right all the time. And this is why when somebody asks you, are you a Republican or a Democrat, your answer should be, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so it's not as easy as just saying that I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a follower of Jesus. So if you want to talk about a particular issue, then I can tell you what the biblical stance is for that particular issue. And that will then determine how I would vote on that issue. But it's not just as simple as just saying I'm a Republican or a Democrat. Because nobody gets it right all the time. And there is no perfect candidate that's out there. What we have to do is we've got to look at the full counsel of God's word, not your favorite little pet scripture that you have that talks about an issue. You need to look from Genesis to Revelation. What does God speak about an entire topic, an entire political issue? And then our vote is based on what God's word says and nothing else. Not our opinion not what our favorite pundit on TV has to say, not what clever Facebook memes have to say. 
It's always based right on God's Word. Now, where this gets tricky then is that most of the time, we're not voting on issues, are we? We're voting for candidates. And those candidates sometimes get it right on some issues, and then they get it wrong on issues. Again, there is no perfect political candidate. And so that, that puts us in a real dilemma of, okay, if they're not always getting it right according to God's word, then how in the world do I figure out who I should be voting for? Well, many years ago, I came up with a little acrostic that I use that sort of helps me to filter candidates through. And I call this sort of putting on your political thinking cap. And CAP actually is an acrostic for, uh, or yeah, CAP is an acrostic that stands for this. Character, ability, and policies. Again, these are the things you're going to filter a candidate through. Their character, their abilities, and their policies. Let's break down each one of these. When it comes to character, keep in mind that you're not looking for Jesus Jr. We're not electing a pastor we're electing a politician that's going to help to influence the direction of a city or a state or the nation. And so when it comes to character, there's a lot of things that make up a person's character. But when it comes to a politician's character, the thing that matters the most is their word. Is this a person of their word or not? You know, you see politicians all the time. They make all kinds of campaign promises, don't they? And they promise this group one thing and this group another thing, but they're diametrically opposed. You can't have it both ways. So somebody isn't going to get what they want. But that's how politicians get elected, is they just promise a lot of things. And so what you need to do is you need to say, all right, based on this person's track record, whether it be in politics or in some other area of life that you know, they led somewhere or whatever, how does this person do when it comes to keeping their word? Are they a person of their word? Are they a person of character or not? So that's, that's important. The second thing is important as well, and that is abilities. Now, out of the three, this is the least important. But here's the question you're asking yourself. Can this person do the job or not? You know, they can be promoting all the, the biblical values and, and principles and policies that we want, but if they're not a skilled politician and that they can work together with others in order to actually get things done, then that's just a wasted vote. And then the, the final thing is the, the most important, and that is the, the policies. Are the policies they're promoting in alignment with God's word? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So again, three, three big questions you're asking here. Are they a person of their word? Do they have the ability to do the job? And are the policies they are promoting going to love God and love people? Now let me share with you why policies actually outweighs the other two, though. Imagine two hypothetical candidates, candidate A, candidate B, could be male, could be female. Candidate A is a person of great character, is a very skilled politician, but everything they are promoting policy-wise actually is against God's word. Candidate B is a person maybe of questionable character, could be a complete idiot, but yet what they're promoting is God's word, how to love God and how to love people who as followers of Jesus do we have to vote for there? 
has to be B, right? Again, it's our theology that informs our political decisions, not the opposite way around. And so in that case, it's, it's candidate B that we would be voting for. Now, don't get me wrong, we should still have very high expectations about character and ability, but policies that politicians promote are far more important. And let me reiterate, there is no perfect candidate. And so when it comes to policy, sometimes we have to choose between, you know, whose policies line up more. Again, every Republican does not get this right all the time. They have some issues that they're off on. All Democrats don't get this right all the time. They have some issues that they're off on. So when you have two candidates, you look at their character, you look at their abilities, but most of all, you're looking, which one is promoting more policies that are going to follow God's word of loving God and loving people than what the other one is? And so it, it makes it a little bit easier then to figure out who it is that we should be voting for. So if that's a, a guide of how to vote, let's actually take little bit of time here today and look at the dangers that we as followers of Jesus have as we get involved in the political arena. So a couple of things there on your outline. The first one is this, and that is that we, meaning Christians, we forget that the real danger to Christianity is ourselves, not politicians. You know, the tendency for us as Christians is to look at the government, look at the secularization of society and go, that's the problem. And that's going to hurt us. That's going to hurt our faith. That's going to hurt the church, whether it be taking prayer out of schools or taking the Ten Commandments down off of the courtroom walls or the legalization of behaviors that God's Word clearly says is sin, we tend to go, look, the danger is out there. But it's not. The real danger is in here, in the church. Here's why I say that. Over the past few generations, the capital C church the global church, has done an incredibly poor job of truly making disciples of Jesus. What is a disciple of Jesus? Uh, shout out. What do you think a disciple of Jesus? In the chat, go ahead and type in. What is a disciple of Jesus? Just give like one or two words. What would it be to be a disciple of Jesus? Let me hear you. Here, here. Yeah, okay. So yeah, a disciple is going to make disciples. What somebody said, teacher? Yeah, yeah, so you're going to teach people. But who, are we just teaching anything, or, or what are we doing? It's got to be God's Word. And so a disciple literally is a follower of Jesus. It's somebody that says, he is the teacher, and I am going to be his student, and I'm going to become just like the teacher. And so the, the capital C church, the global church, has done an incredibly poor job of making true disciples of Jesus. See, true disciples of Jesus are going to live out this principle of love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Instead, what we've created oftentimes is what may be called cultural Christians. These are people who are basically Christian in name only. Oh, sure, they show up to a church building two or three times a month. They may even drop a couple bucks in the offering uh, basket. You know, maybe occasionally they'll pray or they'll crack open their Bible and they'll read it a little bit. Maybe even they'll serve on occasion. 
But for the most part, their lives haven't been transformed by the gospel message of Jesus. And if hearts aren't being transformed by the gospel message of Jesus, then that means that communities aren't being transformed by the gospel either. And as a result, then the government has to step in and create programs to do things that God's people should have been doing all along. Things like feeding the homeless, clothing the poor, caring for the sick, adopting the orphans, providing for the widows, being a champion for those who are being treated unjustly. And so we point our finger and say, the government is the problem, when the reality is we are the problem because we've settled for living a cultural Christianity. We've gotten to the place where, you know, we start to think that it's okay just to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus into my life and then be content with that. Sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in so that people think that I'm a person of faith. But yet when the rubber really meets the road, many Christians are just chasing after all the same things that the people of the world are chasing after. Power and pleasure and popularity and possessions. And we do that to the neglect of Jesus' mission for our lives and for the church. Now let me tell you why this is so dangerous. Why it's dangerous to have cultural Christians, and again, this has been going on for generations now, that the church has done a poor job of making disciples. Did you know that during the rise of Hitler in Germany and Nazism in Germany, that 94% of Germans professed to be Christian? Now, we know all the atrocities that Hitler committed. Does that sound like true Christians that would have allowed that to happen? No. What happened was they had a bunch of cultural Christians, people that were Christian in name only. Or how about this? In 1994 in Rwanda, they had their genocide. And for those of you that may have forgotten all the details or maybe you weren't even alive and and know about it or whatever, let me just recap for you briefly what happened. 1994 in Rwanda, over a 100-day period, One million Rwandans were killed, not by another nation, but from within the nation. It was Rwandans killing Rwandans. It was family members killing family members. It was neighbors killing neighbors. Some cases, it was husbands killing their wives. It was Christians killing Christians. 100-day period, one million people dead. And in Rwanda, 90% of the population said that they were followers of Jesus. Obviously not. Because that's not loving God, and that's not loving people. Cultural Christians only. Now let's bring it a little bit closer to home. And I'm going to apologize in advance for how absolutely reprehensible the photo is that I'm about to show you. But here in the United States, in Oregon, in the 1920s, take a look at this picture. There, under two words that all of us would say is the truth, that Jesus saves, stands a congregation of people, some in white hooded uh, hooded, uh, robes, others not that obviously did not understand the transformative power of those two words. Cultural Christians. You're going, Gilbert, but 1920s, that's like 100 years ago. 
But listen, when it comes to like race and stuff, even today the church so often gets this wrong. And it's become a political issue instead of a, a gospel issue. Remember, the gospel is about the transformation of people's hearts. The gospel is about reconciliation, not just to God, but a reconciliation with people. That Paul, at one point, he says, you know what, when it, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no Greek or Jew. There is no black or white, male or female, slave or free. He says, but Christ is all and is in all. So the problem isn't out there. Oftentimes the problem is in here when you settle for being a cultural Christian instead of actually being a follower of Jesus. Here's the second danger is Christians get involved in the political process, and that is that if I'm doing nothing more than just simply voting. Remember, ultimately your citizenship is in heaven. However, in the meantime, you do have a citizenship here in the United States, so you should be voting. But if you reduce your citizenship down to nothing more than, hey, I vote one time every four years, then I'd suggest you're part of the problem. You see, in the same way your faith can't be reduced down to, well, I show up to Exponential one hour every week, and that's what it means to be a Christian. You can't just say, well, I vote one time every four years and say, yeah, I'm a good citizen of the United States. It's not about just getting your little I voted sticker. That isn't what truly loving your neighbor looks like. And so that's why here at Exponential, we have what's called You Matter, where we say, look, on a daily basis, you've got to be sharing with people that you matter to God and you matter to me. And you've got to demonstrably do that. You've got to show people that you love them, not just say that you love them. And so we've got to love people in our homes, in our office, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. We need to get involved as Christians in our local issues with the school, with the problems that are facing downtown. How do we handle hunger? How do we handle homelessness? How do we handle a lack of education that many kids have? How do we handle race relations here in the Harrisburg area and beyond? Listen, I know it's easy just to stay all holed up in your home and go, oh, I'm not going to let the big bad world out there influence me. But guess what? Yes, maybe the world isn't influencing you, but that means you're not influencing the world either. And as followers of Jesus, we're to be an influence on the world. We're to be a change agent in the world. We're to bring that transformation that Jesus talked about, not in the, only in the individual hearts, but in the communities as well. And so you've got to do more than just vote. You've got to get involved and show the people of our community that you matter to God and you matter to me as well. Here's the third danger then, and that is that I talk at people instead of with people. Many of you have heard the old saying before, right, that you know, when you get together for a family dinner, don't talk about sex, politics, or religion. And it's you know, sort of a joke, but the reason that they suggest that is those topics, man, people have very strong opinions about it, don't they? People have their opinions. They want their opinions to be known. Now, as followers of Jesus, we are called to discuss these things, but we're called to discuss it so that we can help to influence people towards the godly solution not just towards our own personal opinion. But listen, how you say something is just as important in what it is that you're saying. Remember, you're to be a representative of Jesus at all times and in all ways. And so if you want to have a political conversation with somebody, great, 
but make sure that as you're having that conversation that your volume is right, your tone is right, you're doing it in a respectful and mature manner. Make sure that you're listening just as much as what you speak. Make sure that you're sticking to facts, not just opinions. And by the way, this same thing goes with the things that you post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. It has to be done knowing that I am representing Jesus right now, that I am his follower, and I'm to be an influence on the people that I'm in contact with, whether they know me or not. Every single person that you come in contact with, either live, in person, or online, every single person, you're either bringing them closer to Jesus or you're helping them to take a step away from Jesus. That's every interaction. So your words matter. So don't just talk at people. Learn how to have conversations with people. Because again, we've got to learn how to love God and love people in all ways and in all times. And listen, another person's differing political opinion never gives you the right to hate nor despise somebody. Again, our call is to love, 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 love God and love people. And that includes those who you may consider your quote-unquote political enemies. Number four, here's a danger we face as Christians, and that is when I fail to keep perspective of the big picture. This Tuesday, either President Trump or Vice President Biden will be elected the next president of the United States. And they're going to be the president for the next four years. But what we need to understand is that that is just a small little four-year period in thousands of years of recorded history. And this is just one vote in one nation out of over 200 nations in the entire world. And so do you really think that on Wednesday or you know, whatever day it ends up that we finally know what the results are going to be. And it's, it's probably not going to be Tuesday night or Wednesday morning like it would typically be. It's, it's probably going to take weeks before we actually know. Do you really think that whenever the final results are in, God's going to say, angels, meeting time. Trump got reelected. What in the world are we going to do? This is just a mess. Or do you think God's going to say, oh my goodness, Joe Biden, how in the world did this happen? What? We're in deep doo-doo here. Do you think that's what God's going to say? No, why? Because he's in control. This is about his kingdom, his eternal kingdom that's going to last forever. We're talking about a little four-year period here. So keep a proper perspective because ultimately it's not about the next four years it's not about politics and let me let you in on a little secret presidents come and go elections are won and lost the senate and the house they change hands all the time governments rise and governments fall but the government of god is the only one that matters and jesus is the ruler over that listen Jesus is the ruler over Donald Trump. Jesus is the ruler over Joe Biden. Why? Because Jesus is the king above all other kings. And Jesus is the Lord above all other lords. And so don't get so caught up in the here and now that you forget what the big perspective is. And that God's kingdom will never, ever end. 
Now, I'll wrap up here today with two quick things I want to talk about of things that we should do after the election. Here's the first one. Number one, don't freak out. Don't freak out. No matter who wins, remember what I just said, Jesus is still in control. Let's look at Scripture here. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, says this. What's the first word? What's it say? Everyone. Does everyone include you? Online. Does everyone include you? Yes, everyone. Everyone must do what? Everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Listen, if Donald Trump is reelected this week, it's because it's a part of God's plan. And so all you Democrats out there and all you never-Trumpers out there, don't freak out. If Joe Biden gets elected next week, it's because it's a part of God's plan. And so all you red hat wearing MAGA people, don't freak out. God is in control. Look at Hebrews 13, 17. Have what? Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to who? Who's it say? Be of no benefit to? To you. And so when we oppose political people, you know, that, all that's doing is it's hurting you. Your job isn't to protest and to riot and to post mean things on Facebook. No, your job is to not freak out because that'd be no benefit to you. Here's the second thing you got to do, and that is I must pray for the president and all my elected leaders. You got to pray. The Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, he was arrested by the Roman Emperor Nero. And Paul knew, he knew that he knew that he knew that he knew that Nero was going to execute him. But yet I want you to read here and, and listen as I, I share it with you. What Paul writes to his young protege, a guy by the name of Timothy. We find it in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede or pray on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Isn't that amazing that he writes this? He knows that the guy that's in charge, the emperor, the Caesar, the king, he knows that that guy is about to kill him, but yet he says we need to pray for everybody, including our leaders. We need to pray for them. And we need to live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity because that's what pleases God. Again, the same thing needs to be true for us. I don't care who wins next week. I'm going to be so disappointed if there's protesting and rioting. Especially if it's Christians that are doing it. Because that is not the call that we have. God is in control. 
We've got to pray because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what is good and pleasing to him. Because again, ultimately what true power is, is the power to transform hearts and lives. If we want to transform our community into what we think would be a better place, it's about loving God and it's about loving people. That's it. Love God and love people. That's true power. And you have the power to do that. You have been given that power. You have been granted that power by Jesus himself. And Jesus promises this. He says, if my followers will do that, if they are marked by love, then people are going to see that love and they're going to honor and glorify our God who is in heaven. And isn't that what we want? Transformation of individual lives, transformation of a community into more of what God would have. And so, yes, politics plays a little bit of a part of that. But mainly it's love. And you have a choice. Are you going to do it Jesus' way? Or are you going to do it your way? Are you going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? Or are you going to be like the rest of the world and get all up and tight about you know, things and, and shouting at one another? That's not the way we make change. We make change through love. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this uh, last two weeks that we've been able to, to look at where does faith and politics intersect with one another. And thankfully, uh, we were able to, to see from your word that while politics does play a role, you play the greater role. And that we can have a much bigger influence on this country than even what, even what a president can. Because when we come together as your followers, if, if, if we could truly have a nation that was not cultural Christians, but truly your followers, truly loving our neighbors and truly loving you, it would change everything. But until we get to the place where we say enough is enough, not with the world, but enough is enough with my own heart, my own life. I've got to sell out to Jesus and for his mission. Then things are not going to change. Till we change, things are not going to change. So Lord, I pray that for everybody that's here live with us, everybody that's listening to us online or watching online, I pray that right now we would make that individual decision that everybody else may not change, but I am. I'm not going to be a cultural Christian. I'm going to get on board with Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan to transform hearts, transform communities, transform nations. And I'm going to be an influence on the others around me to do the same thing. Father, help us. Help us to do that. Help us to make wise choices as we go to the, to the ballot box, to not allow our political ideologies to influence our vote, but let our theology of love influence our vote. Give us wisdom in how to choose various candidates and where they stand on these issues and who it is that we need to vote for. 
Father, again, we just thank you so much that you use people like us to make a difference for you. Help us never to take that for granted. Help us to realize that you see potential in us to be difference makers. And so help us to live in that reality. And Lord, finally, I pray for our nation that no matter what happens this week, that there would be peace. That we would come together as a country and realize that they're not red states and blue states, but we are the United States of America. And that, yes, we may have differing political ideologies, but ultimately we need to be one. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Lord, we want your perfect will to be done. So whatever that means, let it be done. And I ask all this in your precious and holy name, the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. Amen.